Using RocketPro TPO is like managing a team of all-stars. Our powerhouse squad of purchase underwriters complete document reviews and initial underwrites in just one day. With our industry-leading mortgage insurance and with a wide variety of products to use, your mortgage game will have zero weaknesses, helping you and your clients win more closings against today's tough competition. Rocket Pro TPO compete at the highest level. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS ConsumerAccess.org number 3030. You're listening to Mortgage Lending Mastery. Get the knowledge you need to advance your mortgage practice quickly and efficiently from Jen Duplessis, America's Mortgage Mastery Mentor with over 37 years of experience and over $1 billion in lifetime fundings. Jen has been mentoring loan officers and realtors for over 15 years and speaking on stages across the globe. So settle in and get ready as Jen and her guests share their experience passion, and strategies to help you crack the top producer code to reach new heights in your business. And now, here's your host, Jen Duplessis, Mortgage Mastery Mentor and Head Chicken Charge of Kinetic Spark Consulting. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Mortgage Lending Mastery. I'm your host, Jen Duplessis. And I just want to say, you know, if you're watching for the first time or you're listening for the first time, welcome. Welcome to our community. And thank you so much for taking time out of your day to spend with us so that you can improve and grow your mortgage or real estate practice. And if you've been listening for a while, thank you so much for your patronage. I really, really appreciate it. Today on the show, our guest is Kevin. Crichton. He is the CEO of EMM Loans LLC, which is based out of, are you based out of New Jersey? Yeah, we're in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. In Cherry Hill. Oh, and I know mm-hmm. Cherry Hill very well. Yeah. I used to be with World Savings. Oh, we <laughs> see the Philly uh, skyline from our building. So yeah. We're basically yeah. A Philly, Philly-based company, but in Cherry Hill. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And they do $3 billion a year in retail and wholesale production and they're licensed in 40 states. So that's just a quick part of that. But Kevin, he is, you know, again, the CEO, he's been a leader. He's held numerous positions in his 35 years in the mortgage business. And today, what we're going to be talking about is not only just learning a little bit about EMM loans, but also what your predictions are. What are you seeing? You know, you've been in it for 35 years. You've seen some ups and downs like we all have, right? Who've been in it for this long. But we want to talk about some of your predictions are. There's a lot of angst in the market right now because things have slowed down after Mm -hmm. COVID. And now what do people do? Now, what do they do? And we're looking towards 2020. So I want to say thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you so much for taking time out of your day to share your wisdom with us. Sure. So let's get started with sort of the state of the union. What's it been like for EMM over the last year and a half to two years? I mean, maybe take us back to 2019 when everyone was singing the blues about whether or not they should be in the business or not. Yeah. <laughs> and the best word to describe it is different. We came into 2020. We didn't know what the next step was. We had winter upon us. And then March came here with the pandemic and or at least the start of one, which no one really knew how bad it was going to be. And we sent everybody home. So thank goodness for our company being technology driven that two years prior, we had set up the company to be able to go home for a disaster, you know, flood. We thought of a flood, we thought of a hurricane, we thought of a fire. We didn't think of a pandemic, but we were able to, to, you know, maneuver through it. And, you know, we had the best year of our careers in the company's history. 
And it was smooth. I mean, it was really smooth. The people stepped up in the company. The te- our teammates stepped up. Everyone did their job. Everyone did it while they were watching children and dealing with the concern over the pandemic. And it was really an amazing, like I said, different environment. So we've proven that we can do it from anywhere. And we had a corporate office till about last, uh, which is August, so probably April, that we were had much more space, much more costs. Uh, we were planning on moving out anyway, but we got into a building that is serious amount of money less much less space, much less cost, but yet we don't need to have everyone in the office. So we just have some essential workers coming in and people who feel like coming in from time to time, like they feel like interacting with people, but that's still dangerous. So we're still concerned about, you know, COVID, but, you know, 2020 was a phenomenal year from a standpoint of production and a standpoint of, you know, earnings is probably the better way to describe it because right. 2 billion to 3 billion, you were doing 2 billion plus now, but yeah, we're not making the same amount of money or, you know, back in 2020, the margins were out of control. They were just, yeah. every time you turned around, you could add, I hate to say, it, you can add more margin. It was very super, super competitive. But at the same time, people were falling over each other to, to, to buy a house or refinance or whatever it was. It was a miraculous year from an earnings standpoint. Okay. So let me ask you about what's been happening in recent months, because I was just at a non-QM conference in Los Angeles a couple of days ago. And one of the words that was being used throughout that was a softening of the market. Mm-hmm. And I'm of the opinion, it's not really a softening of the market as much as it is going back to original market, you know, a more sustainable market. So two questions I have for you. What do you think has prompted all of a sudden sort of the skids on everything in the pandemic? Because I know everyone hasn't refinanced. I know people Mm -hmm. still want to move and I know Mm -hmm. rates are still great. So what do you think has put the skids on it? And then where do you think the market is right now as we continue to finish out this year? So, I mean, we use the word softening. I think right now it's exactly anything from last year's pace is going to be look like a softening, right? It was the best market in the history of mortgage banking. Yeah. So anything off of that is going to be softening. There's a lot of factors. You know, the COVID-19 situation is still having an impact, the political scenario. But, you know, what we have now is still great rates. I mean, you can borrow money at two point something or low threes. When you take a tax impact of that, that's that's really cheap money. But I do think real estate is... A little loftier now. I think real estate values have gone through the roof. I think customers are starting to get wise. I think there's not as much real estate for sale too. So that's slowed down that market. On the refinance side, I think some people are sitting back saying that maybe I'll wait longer. Maybe rates are going to get cheaper. <laughs> then you hear about you know rates going up, rates going down. You know, I have one basic premise. If it's time to refine, you can save some money, do it. You can always do it again, right? But everyone is different. So what makes this, you know, this world you know, special place. Every person is different and no one's right. No one's wrong. It's an opinion. So, you know, you got to value their opinions. You have to market to their opinions. And you're right. There's so much refinance still in the market, both in cash out scenarios, rate and term. I mean, there's a ton of business still out there and we keep coming in the door. It's not like it was coming in, you know, initially in 2020, because we went from a higher rate, we dropped and people were home. You know, what are you going to do when you're home? Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to listen to the marketing. I'm going to listen to, you know, hey, I got these bills. I got those, but I'm not working. I might as well try and refinance. Well, I can't refinance. I'm not working. We never experienced that before. So it's yeah. all new to us. It's all new no, to us. So that- next year, next year will be new to us too. 
Oh, I think so too. Yeah. Um, so what do you think is going to happen with values? And it's not even just values. I believe they're going to continue to go up, but, and I think they're going to go up at a good pace, right. At a better pace, not such such a dramatic pace. I don't think we're going to find that they're going down because there still is pent up demand, but what impact do you think in that is construction and material costs going to play in, you know, the building sector and, or, you know, there's a lot of build to rent properties mm-hmm. going up now. Mm-hmm. Builders are kind of putting the skids and recalibrating where their supplies are and redirecting them to different right. places. Even homeowners who have equity are putting the skids on things because they may want to do a bathroom or a kitchen, but it's so costly. And, you know, you'd have to wait five months for something, a dishwasher to come in, right? (laughs) So how do you think all of those external flu influences are going to impact the purchase market in 2022? Well, I mean, if we have full employment or we have fuller employment, I don't think it matters what the costs are. I think people want a home. They want to go from a rental to a home. It's it's still the dream, right? So I think you'll get less of a house, but I still still think to your point, uh, there's pent up demand. And I think there's a housing shortage. I think that for the next probably 10 years, you know, with the population, the millennials and Generation Xers and everything else, it's the dream to have a home and you want to have a home. So I do think the Roaring Twenties, as we'll call it, is here to stay. I think the pace will be slower than it has been the last year or two. I think there'll be pockets of despair. There'll be pockets of one key factor we have not taken into account, and some people have is the whole non-eviction and non-foreclosure process. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the foreclosure thing uh, situation is always has some type of level of homes coming into the market from foreclosure. We don't have that right now. So mm-hmm. that's why we have less inventory. So that'll be back in the market probably next year sometime once they, they get through the legal wranglings and yeah, things that have to happen. And, and all yeah, I mean, we're getting back to full employment. We've seen the first shoe drop. We're now no longer subsidized. This foreclosure process will change too. There'll be rules around it. It'll be a little more lenient, but there'll be more homes on market for it. I wanted to tell you this too. I have been calling these the 2020s, the soaring 20s. <laughs> Because I really feel like this is the decade that things are going to soar in the mortgage industry. And I think those that have really good, solid foundations are going to you know, last for a long time. I want to ask you a little bit more. I know I'm getting really technical with you. We'll move on to other things. But I want to ask you a little bit about commercial because you mentioned housing shortage. And of course, we know that. And you also mentioned that you've moved your company right into a different dynamic and not being in these commercial facilities. We obviously have the big box malls that are in deep trouble and, you know, hopefully we'll move into multifamily or something else. But what do you see happening with the commercial buildings that are in your neck of the woods in, in New Jersey and Philly and New York? What are you seeing as a transition for those types of properties to be able to solve the issue of pent up demand and housing shortage? The market was already softening well before the pandemic, as we know, in the commercial real estate. There's still a tremendous amount of commercial real estate available, including the malls where you got things that are closing down. There's some vision and some talk about converting some of the malls to condominiums, you know, taking them down and building some homes or rentals, wherever it may be. I mean, it's talk. I haven't seen anything actually happen yet, but it takes a lot of time, right? You got zoning laws, you got you got money issues. You got Lean. banks that have to get involved. You got liens already on the malls. You got REITs right yeah. in the public market. I mean, it's just a tangled mess. But I think if you took some of the space that's not being used appropriately or needed any longer, like a mall, 
as a good example. Yeah. It's a perfect environment because a lot of infrastructure over there, water, sewer, electric, yeah. gas, perfect for a condo, apartment complex, something for people that need, whether it be low-income housing. Yeah, high-scale yeah. So, so I think it's going to happen in the next this decade. I don't know when. You'll start to see some projects take hold. But I th- still think the retail guys are you know, holding on to a thread, right? You know, I still can make it. I can still compete against Amazon. I can still compete against the technology, although every one of them are online, right? And that's where most of the sales are coming from is online. Yeah. So I think, you know, is it going to be in my lifetime? Yeah, but it's going to take a little longer. Yeah. It's going to take a little longer. Yeah, I think so. Okay, so let's switch directions and talk a little bit about the financing that you're seeing happening, you know, as you go forward. And I Again, I just came from non-QM and non-QM happens to be, by the way, everybody agrees that we're changing the terminology of that now too. It won't be mm-hmm. non-QM anymore. It'll be non-agency, okay, but that's good. it's coming that way because everyone's saying, well, if it's not non-QM, then it must be subprime for those who remember that, right? And so it really isn't because the the credit scores, the the performance and the L are equal to agency and the yeah. LTVs are lower than agency. So there's actually less risk in those loans. So all documentation. Yeah. Everything else is the same. I mean, you know, yeah. it's more stringent collateral issues. I mean, yeah. everything's good except for the documentation. Yeah. And, you know, and it's a growing environment. And and so tell us a little bit about how you feel or what your perspective of your crystal ball is moving forward in 2022 for what your team and your company is going to be looking at as far as expansion into the non-QM world to help with the loan officers being able to find more deals. Well, this year compared to last means deals are a little tougher. They're not as fluid. So a lot of borrowers have different stories, you know, different ways to they make money, but they can't document the right way. That becomes what we used to call Alt-A. Now it's yeah. called non-QM in the future, become non-agency. I think the second home market and the investment market is being pushed to that that market. It's a non-agency, right? Agency yeah. only wants to buy 7% or 3% right now for, for many. Some are zero. Yeah. That was just done all incorrectly. Yeah, and I, I think, think that pendulum will swing back just a hair. Yeah, I had a meeting yesterday with the uh, independent mortgage bankers, yeah. and the conversation is such with the MBA that they think they're close to getting some relief on that from the agencies. When they say relief, they mean, you know, maybe take it three to seven or seven to 10. There's going to be a cap on it, right? So the agencies secretly had a cap all along, but they never really pushed it down on people. Right. So they just watched everyone individually. So that product, which is a lot of loans out there, I mean, a second home market and the investment market, boom, that was one of the biggest booms out there last year. Yeah. People had the money. They wanted to have low rates. Our baby boomers were, you know, I'm a baby boomer. It's like all this baby boomer stuff that's happening. And so mm-hmm. we're looking at investment opportunities yeah. and second homes right at the moment that we're in, you know, approaching 60. Right? And we're saying, hey, we need these extra homes. You need yield, right? So yeah. you go out there and say, yeah. I can buy an investment property and make X dollars a year, yeah. right? You do the math, that's oh, 10% return. Where yeah. are you getting 10% today? You're not getting nowhere. It. You know, unless you take a big, big, big risk. Now, we as a society believe that real estate is risk-free for the most part. Yeah. We only had one time in our time that's really been bad. Yeah. So everyone still has, you know, short memories mm-hmm. and they say, yeah, let me go buy the house. Let me buy that one. Then they go up in value. Then all of a sudden the agency comes like, no mas, you know, yeah. no more. We're going to yeah. slow it down. And I think that market has slowed down significantly, both with available properties the price of the properties and lack of financing. So that has a major impact on the uh, slowing of investment properties in second homes. So 
you know, if I was personally buying investment properties or second homes, I'd wait it out. I mean, I hate yeah. to say it. I'm in the mortgage bank. Well, it's gonna, finance, but. yeah. I mean, I would too, and I'm an yeah. investor. I yeah. would wait it out right now because I'm waiting for forbearance. Because yeah. as soon as it comes back, I think we're gonna have some big surprises, and I think that's gonna right. open up that marketplace to be ready, you know, in that marketplace. I want to shift gears as we continue this conversation and talk about what's 2022 look like for your company and your sales staff as far as, you know, is it business as usual? Is there anything new that you're thinking about, you know, as people are listening and saying, what is there that's out there that's fresh and new, or does it even need to be fresh and new for 2022? Oh, that's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, for me, for our company, it's we've evolved since last year, year before, where we have uh, decided to hold on to servicing. So the company now has a $2 billion portfolio and growing. We used to sell it all off. It opens up opportunities for people mm-hmm. in the portfolio that need cash, that need want to buy a second home, want to buy investment properties, right? Yeah, uh, Or just want to refinance. That's one element of our business, which we didn't have going into 2020. We accumulated it all in the last year and a half, and it's a phenomenal portfolio. The other thing we truly, truly believe in, while we have very strategic branches in around the country, and these are great men and women that have been doing it for many years, and they service you know, kind of like a broker, they service that local market really well. They don't have multiple states. They have one little area. We want to give them support. So the people coming in from the portfolio that may have worked with before, we're flushing them back to the branches. Number yeah. two, you know, we are setting up a CD unit or a consumer direct unit in the markets where we don't have physical presence. Yeah. We are going direct to consumer instead of the brick and mortar. We believe that the market over the next 10 years is less brick and mortar. We just got done talking about commercial real estate and more centralized, technology-driven, you know, fast and quick and get the bar in, get them out and move on. So we've got a consumer direct team now that does mostly refi. Yeah. Uh, the second unit we're putting together, quite honestly, is probably about half of it's going to be purchases and then the market's going to change. So that's the growth for us is in the CD unit and strategic branches. And then where we can't complete the uh, strategic branch, like I said, we'll do it on the CD side. Yeah. So, yeah. How much M&A do you think is going to be happening over the next couple of years with brokerages and wholesale and correspondent lenders? How much do you think is going to happen? Is you think there's going to be a contraction, expansion? I think we've had a great deal of, you know, merger and acquisitions and contraction already is still going on. Mm -hmm. But I think it's been for different reasons now in the past than it will be in the future. I think the future will be more have to, you know, have to merge, have to consolidate. The market's going to get slower. You know, rates will definitely go up to some, I mean, you don't have many, rates can't go much lower. I mean, it can go somewhat lower, but the direction of the economy, if everything goes well and we beat this pandemic is that we're already too low from a standpoint of where the market's growing. Where the so, employment is. Yeah. Yeah. Employment, yeah. It, employment and just, I mean, everything just says yeah. we've been keeping, you know, our foot on the pedal here with rates. And I think some rates going up will slow things down to a normal pace, by the way. It's not going to be crazy bad. Yeah. It's not yeah. going to be like, uh, geez, I forget the year, maybe it was 2013, 14, I forget what year was when I really slowed down. It's yeah. been that long. Uh, 19 slow down, but not that bad. I think we need to kind of rattle out the caging and have some of the people who are in the business get out or consolidate. And I think that'll be a 2022 year. There's always a chance that we, yeah. God forbid, you know, don't 
commodities where, you know, the pandemic gets worse and things get worse and we slow down and rates go lower. But I think the better chance that rates go up a little bit higher and it slows the market down a little bit. Yeah, I think so too. And I think we have some aging, you know, realtors, we have aging loan officers. I mean, you know, the average person now, I think the average age is 57 now. Wow, It's gone up from 55. So, you know, we have emerging millennials, emerging, you know, younger people who are just more tech savvy. And I think a lot of people are tired. I think Consumer yeah. Direct is an answer. Yeah. Know, there was a time period, then it went away, then everyone got back to the branches. I think, you know, with everything it's describing as far as the aging population, as far as consumers being younger and want technology, that's one of our plays. We've got some phenomenal technology that will allow the consumer to get approved online. It's not every consumer, but it's the line. It's a good portion of it and move the ball very quickly. Whereas, yeah. you know, the branches are typically local hand-holding, take your application, the traditional way we did business, right? Some of them are deploying technology on their own. Some are not. Many are not. (laughs) But the consumer direct side, we can manage a group together opposed to all these branches that want to do it their way. They they have a talent. They have a way to sell. And they make their clients feel comfortable, whereas that doesn't work. But in a CD environment, you have to be technology-driven. You got to be fast on your feet. You got to be available for the people. And you got to move the ball very quickly. So that's the difference. How do you think that competition is going to look like, you know, if everyone, I mean, I know you're going into that, you know, virtual environment, we have rocket pro TPO, we have Quicken, we have a lot of different places are doing. So what's going to set you aside? I mean, there's faster, but then, you know, it's kind of like like the move when they said, you know, six minute abs. And he's like, well, I got five minute abs. Right. (laughs) So, you know, at what point will there be need to be a differentiator that, that will elevate and shine a light on your company opposed to someone else? So we've always differentiated ourselves because we can't compete with the big, big, big guys. I've been part of big companies. I've been part of smaller companies. But the way we do business today is family-oriented. I mean, we're close. And to the consumer, you can get a hold of us, right? Loans come to my desk. Yeah. You don't find that in big companies. A uh, loan's not going to Dan Gilbert. And yeah, I know Dan. Yeah. I know Bob Walters and all the guys at yeah. Quick and Rocket and some of the other guys, and, you know, Bill Dallas. They don't see loans every day. Yeah. I do. Yeah. You know, so we try and make exceptions. We try and do things quickly. We try and understand the consumer's needs. And then we all get involved. And I think we just give better service and better listening than some of the big companies. Yeah, that's good. That's beautiful. And I know that you're very community oriented as well. So tell us a little bit about that. You know, I think that this is something that, and we know statistically with the five generations that are all working together at the first time ever (laughs) that that's (laughs) happened. I'm statistically that the younger generations will leave a good paying job where they don't feel that they are serving the consumer the way that they want to. They will leave Mm -hmm. a good paying job and take a lesser paying job and go to a company who has a community or charitable orientation. So tell us a little bit about some of that that you're doing, because I know that's near and dear to your heart. Yeah. I mean, you know, we can always do more. We have participated and been involved with the local Habitat for Humanity. I did a lot of work on California when I was at Bank of America and Countrywide. So I believe in it. I have personally done Open Doors Foundation with the MBA. We're given some economic relief uh, volunteering my time, even the local college, like my alma mater, we helped build the business school at Rowan University in New Jersey. So we go there to recruit people to come into the company, young people yeah. who want a different company, who spend time in their environment. I have an open door. I say, if you have a good, terrible idea, come bring it to me. So yeah. can't say yes to everybody, but you listen, you learn, 
you get to know what the charity is and you try and spread the wealth. And um, I think the key to us is that we listen. We're not going to be perfect in this. People that donate more and have more involvement, but we listen to people and their ideas. I mean, we try and stay local. I don't know what else to say to me. It's just the natural thing of giving if I've been brought up that way. So some people are, some people aren't. Yeah. So they can't force people to, to do it. You got you to make them feel good about doing it. Yeah. You know, the word that you've used throughout this entire interview is listen. That, you know, and I would just say that that's probably going to be your mantra, <laughs> you know, is listening. And I think that that is a differenti- differentiator, especially when you can put your money where your mouth is when you do listen. You know, there are people who say they listen and then they don't. They hear you. They're not listening. There's a difference. Right. I think I think there's a difference. Yeah. yeah. Big difference. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I find that with my husband. <laughs> yeah, we get accused me, but he's not really listening. <laughs> I don't know. I think the husbands get accused of that selective hearing thing. <laughs> That's know. right. That's yeah. right. But we're married a long time, so something's got to be. We got to be listening. Yeah, something's so, right. It's right? the not listening yeah. that works. Yeah. Apparently, yeah, yeah, for both of us. Yeah, that's really yeah. good. So, Kevin, you know, if you wanted to leave us with just one thing for, to be thinking about, you know, the people that are listening to this podcast are loan officers and managers and owners and real estate agents and investors. You know, it's every. And when I say investors, real estate investors, not so much our investors, the way that we talk, but the people that are listening here and, you know, what would you like to say to them to give them something that today, when they finish this podcast, they say, you know, that's, I learned a lot about the market. I learned a lot about what EMM loans is doing, that charity may be something that I want to entertain. What else would you like to leave with everyone as they are moving forward into 2022? I think to be humble, we tend to get full of ourselves. Sometimes we get so worked up in the moment and there's a lot of money running around a mortgage company and a lot of loan officers and people who can make a lot of money. And it's the people who make good money that are humble and polite and nice that I believe that you got to butt up to. I mean, those are people that will be with you and will give you cause and give you purpose over the long term in your career. The second piece, which is just as important is work ethic. Whatever styles you want to learn, you can be technically sound, but if you don't have the work ethic, if you don't plan on putting in the hours, you're not going to be successful. So being humble and work ethic, that's the two things. I mean, everything else we can talk about technical aspects of this secondary market or what do you do in business and how do you do it? That's great. And it changes by the day. Two basic things, be humble and work ethic. Yeah, I love that. And notice I didn't ask you any of those questions because <laughs> a lot of times it is that, you know, I don't really want people on this on this podcast to be chasing shiny objects. It's not about chasing shiny objects. It's about, yeah. you know, really centering and trying to figure out. It's funny, I yesterday I just did a recording for my coaching clients. And one of the things that I said is there's seven skills or seven things you can do that don't require talent to be successful. And yeah. that was one of them, work ethic. It doesn't require talent. It requires time and desire and drive. And those things. love what you do. And loving what you do makes work ethic a lot easier. Yeah. Well, it brings you that you want to work. I've been through it all. I mean, I was an athlete as a kid, right through college. I worked as a 12 year old, you know, in the New York City. You know, I was forced to go to do work as a young kid for my father. I like to work down. I like working out for baseball and football. So I've been blessed that I liked the things I was doing. I had the yeah. ability to choose from them. And, you know, I fell into mortgage banking in 86. I was well, in the, We all did. We right? all did, right? And then I fell in love with it. So I had the passion for it that I worked hard at it. So, but then again, you know, I was brought up not to do anything else but work hard. So that's how, you know, when I pick weeds in the garden, I work hard. 
Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, that's pride and that's integrity, right? It's it's kind of like how you do one thing is how you do everything. And that transcends right into the work environment and the personal life as well. So I think that's beautiful. Be humble and get rid of the arrogance to get the chip off your shoulder. Be humble, be a servant, listen to people and and work hard, work hard to get where you want to go. And you can do both very well. And yeah. I think people respect that and appreciate both of them. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. Yeah. Kevin, thank you so much for joining You're us welcome. today. Sorry I- for some of the in, in between. I apologize. That's okay. So for those of you that are listening, we'll be editing out all those other little things oh. that happen. So you'll be saying, <laughs> yeah, my bad. Well, what were those in-betweens? We'll add them out as much as we can, but no, no concerns whatsoever. This is what, you know, we give ourselves forgiveness in this new environment. And that's what we're going to do is give okay. ourselves that Appreciate opportunity. Right? Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. And so everyone, again, thank you so much for listening and don't forget, scroll down on your phone and give us a great five-star rating and please leave us a review. We want the reviews to constantly come in and be sure to ask your questions there. I periodically go in and look at those reviews. And if you have a question or a suggestion for a topic that you'd like to have discussed, put it in there or email me at jen at jenduplessis.com. And I will be happy to do the research, find the person, find the topic and bring them here so that we can continue to help you grow your origination business. And so until next time, thank you so much for watching. Thanks for listening to Mortgage Lending Mastery. Be sure to subscribe to hear more sales tips, ideas, strategies, and tactics to help you with your personal and professional growth to multiply your results in record time. And if you like what we're doing, don't forget to give us a rating and review so we can continue to bring you the best content possible. Wanting more beyond the podcast? Join our Mortgage Lending Mastery membership community where you will find extended interviews with our favorite guests, weekly training, tips, and insider secrets, fireside chats with Jen, free content, meet, share, and collaborate with other members, and so much more. Click the link in the show notes to learn more about this exclusive content. Mortgage Lending Mastery is an industry syndicate charter podcast. Industry Syndicate is the first podcast network specifically for the mortgage and real estate industries. Get the Industry Syndicate app in the App Store or Google Play today.